You're listening to the weekly Parsha podcast, recorded with God's help in Ramat Beit Shemesh, Israel, 2007, 5768. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Vayigash. We have the final showdown between Joseph and Judah. Yosef, for the past Parsha, last week's Parsha, this week's Parsha, has been leading on the brothers to think that he's not Yosef. And he created this entire scenario, this difficult scenario for the brothers, leading up to the point where he's ready to take Benjamin as his slave. At which point, Judah sees it doesn't make any sense. Why is this Egyptian doing this? If he was coming to make us slaves, we would understand. It would be an atonement for the sin that we did, that we sold Joseph so many years ago. However, Benjamin wasn't involved in that sale. Judah knew that Benjamin, the fact that Joseph, or his grand viceroy, wanted to take Benjamin, that didn't make any sense. It didn't fit in logically. So he got up and he said, You can't take, jo- you can't take Benjamin. You can't take him. His father Jacob, I promised him that I wouldn't let anything happen to him. I promised him. If I come back without Benjamin, his father will die. Nafshoi kishura benafshoi. Their souls are intertwined. One cannot survive without the other. If you take Benjamin, his elderly father will die. This was the impassioned plea of Judah, to which Joseph responded. He couldn't hold back anymore. He sent everyone out. All the Egyptians had to leave the room. Rashi says the Egyptians were also, they were also claiming, How, you must listen to this man, Judah, you have to listen to him. He couldn't, he couldn't stand that anymore. He sent them all out and he raised his voice in a cry. And he said, Ani Yosef, I am Yosef. Is my father still alive? Can you imagine the emotion of that moment, this whole buildup for so, such a long time. And he says, I'm Yosef. And the Pasuk says, the verse tells us, the brothers, they were flabbergasted. They had, they had nothing to say. They had no response. It was the last thing they expected to hear. And that statement, the statement of Joseph, was such a slap in their face. Because for so many years, they really believed that they were right in selling Joseph. They really believed that there was something that was incorrect about Joseph's behavior. And they, they, were, they vindicated themselves. They were self-righteous about the fact that they sold him for 22 years. And they believed that his dreams were a sham and that he was just looking to be the leader over them. At this moment, he said, Ani Yosef, and they had all bowed down to him. And they all said, we're going to be your slaves. We have, we, there's no choice. They realized that those dreams were true. And they misjudged Joseph so many years before. And they realized that everything that they had believed about Joseph was incorrect. And all the way that they had treated Joseph was incorrect. And everything that they had thought for so many years was wrong. The Medrash tells us something very striking and very scary. The Medrash says, Oy lanu hadin, Woe unto us for the day of judgment. Oy lanu hatoychacha, woe unto us on the day of rebuke. If the brothers of Yosef, when they heard the words of Yosef, their youngest brother, if they were so ashamed and they were so humiliated and they felt so speechless, they had no words, they had no response, if that's how they responded, and they were great tzaddikim, they were great righteous people, what's going to be when Hashem pulls out His, his list of things that we've done wrong? And He says, Ani Hashem, I know, I know what you were thinking. I know what was really going on. I know what your underlying motives were. That's what the Medrash says. It's a scary thought. Now if we analyze this just a little bit and think a little bit about it, it gives us a tremendous lesson. Because the brothers all along, they really thought that they were right, as we mentioned. But what happened? 
Their judgment was clouded because of their sin or their hatred, their jealousy towards Joseph. And they didn't allow themselves to realize what was the real underlying reasons behind their actions. They rationalized and they thought, this is why I'm doing it, this is the real reason, he's really guilty. But they didn't see the bias within their own hearts. But as soon as, they, as, soon as Yosef said, Ani Yosef, they realized their mistake. Same thing with us. So many times there are so many biases within our own hearts. There's so, so many reasons why we want to do something this way, we want to do something that way. So many reasons why, that, are, that are pulling us in every direction to try to get us to do the wrong thing. Or to not do the right thing as well as we could. We have to recognize those biases. I want to, I want to share with you a mushal, a parable that I heard just yesterday from Rabbi Baruch Chait. He was giving a kumzitz in Yeshivas or David in Jerusalem and I happened to be there to, to speak to him. Of course, I didn't happen to be there. There's no such thing as happenstance. God directed me to be there. And I heard this wonderful mushal that he said, and it goes like this. There was once a young man who began his business career. He was beginning his business career. And he decided that the, the, the option that he wanted to take, the business he wanted to pursue, was the construction business. And he thought to himself that the most important thing is I'm going to try my best to give people a very good product, gives, gives them something reliable, something that they can depend on. And this way, God willing, I'll work up my reputation. So he had a very wealthy uncle, and this uncle heard that his beloved, his favorite nephew, was beginning this new business. And he came to his nephew with a proposal, and he said, I heard that you've begun this new business. I want you to know that I have a piece of property, and I want to build a brand new villa on that property. And I want to give you the opportunity to be the contractor. I want to give you your break to be the contractor who builds my beautiful villa. And I'm sure that if you do a good job on my, on my villa, many other people will want to use you for their houses. So the nephew is so excited, he's, he's set to go and he hires the best people to lay down the foundation. And the, slowly the foundation goes up and the first floor and the second floor and the third floor. And he's making a magnificent building. The whole exterior is almost completed and it's time to put in the electricity and the plumbing. And he comes to the subcontractor who's in charge of the electricity and the, and the subcontractor says to him, you know, if you, if you use first quality, it's very nice, but you know, you could use second or third quality and it would save you literally thousands of dollars. Like, you would come home with thousands of dollars. You know, okay, it's, it's, it's still good, you know, like it's electricity and it will work. It will work for a while. I mean, it may not work as long as if you had put in first quality, but you know, it will work for a long time. It will definitely give them their money's worth. I personally, in Mamlitz, I suggest that you uh, use the second quality or the third quality. So he didn't know what to do. He was thinking to himself, should I do this? Should I not do this? And he made the calculations and he calculated how much money he would make if he, if he used the second quality. And he decided, you know what? I'm going to do the second quality. And that's what happened with electricity. And then it came to the plumbing, and a similar story happened. The subcontractor said to him, you know, if if you use second or third quality, you know, you're going to make a lot more money. We'll all make money. You know, let, let's do it right. You don't have to give them the best quality. You know, it's still going to work. It'll work for a while. And uh, you're giving them a good quality product. It's not the best, but it's still good. And he thought, he made a calculation, and figured out how much money he would make, and he decided, you know, I think I should go with the second quality on the plumbing. Anyway, continued this way, 
and he finished the 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 villa it was complete and finally he comes his uncle comes to look at the beautiful completed villa it looks gorgeous and they're speaking and the uncle says what a beautiful job you did thank you so much it's such a beautiful edifice everything is so wonderful and then the uncle pulls out the keys to the house from his pocket and he says i want this i want this villa to be yours now the nimshal of the story, the message of the story is obvious. And that is that if we're doing it for someone else, we may not do it as well. But if we realize that all the things that we're doing in our lives are building who we are, how can we, how can we settle for second best? How can we settle for third best? At some point in our lives, or at some point, God is going to say to us, what do you have to show for yourself? What have you accomplished? Ani Hashem. I know, I know what was really inside of you. And the truth is, it doesn't even have to be Hashem saying it. It's, it's how we see ourselves and we see ourselves in comparison with the true reality of the world. What could we have done and what did we do? That message is so striking because if we think about it, if we think about it, it gives us the impetus and it helps us to really put in our all and to, to try to get that first quality and not settle for second or third best. And it doesn't have to do with anyone else. It doesn't have to do with what our rabbi says. It doesn't have to do with what Ari Goldwag says. It doesn't have to do with anything else but what inside of our hearts, being intellectually honest with ourselves, being true to what we know. Being true to what we know. To add on another level to this, it's not even enough to be true to what we know. Because sometimes we can fool ourselves and we can know the wrong thing. The truth is that we have to be true to God. We have to be true to the Torah. We have to be true to our forefathers' way of life. Because only there, if we search, intellectual again, with intellectual honesty, only then will we find the truth. And only then will we be able to come to the Yom HaTochacha, to the Day of Judgment, when God says to us, that's why it's not just it's not just about how we view the world. Because there's an objective reality. There's a truth that's objective. And it's to that objective reality, the objective good and not good, the, the scales of objective right and wrong, that our deeds will be placed and weighed. Now the question is, how do we, how do we come to understand what is truly objectively right and wrong? How can we with our finite human minds understand what is objectively correct? And the answer to that question is as follows. There's a Maimar Chazal, the sages say that if you want to know what is Das Torah, what is the Das, what is the knowledge, what is the opinion of the Torah of God, go look at what people in the street are saying. It's the exact opposite of Das Balabayas. Whatever a regular person, unlearned person, unlettered person is saying, it's the exact opposite. I once heard that there was a certain columnist in a uh, religious newspaper who wasn't particularly learned, but he would always hit dead on with the Ashkafes HaTorah, with the outlook of the Torah. And someone once asked him, how is it that you always understand so well, even though you're, you're not particularly learned yourself, you're not a big godly, you're not a great sage? And he would answer that what he would do is, whenever there was a topic to discuss, he would go out on the street and he would listen to what the average Joe was saying. And whenever the average Joe was saying, he would write the exact opposite. And it's, it's really true, because the average Joe who's unlettered and unlearned and doesn't know what the Torah says, he can't possibly know what God wants from him. So how do we come onto an understanding of what's objectively right and what's objectively moral, and what's truly correct in life? 
So the way that we come to that understanding is by learning the Torah. I once asked a question, and it's a famous question, what is it about learning about a, a, this ox gourd, another ox? You know, in the yeshivas, if you walk into a yeshiva and you see what they're learning about, they're learning about things that on the surface might seem quite impractical. But the truth is that every single thing that we learn in the Torah, even if it doesn't actually apply per, per se, directly, to something that's going on in our lives, what it does is it sensitizes us to the truth and to the reality of God's Torah and what God's opinion is and how God wants us to fear us, how Hashem wants us to lead our lives. I once heard another story, a very interesting story. A, a certain person was sitting and learning a, a, a Talmud, a student of Rabbi Hanan Wasserman, who was a great Rosh Hashiva who passed away during the Holocaust. He was sitting and learning with his Rosh Hashiva and someone walked in to ask a shaila, to ask a question, a halacha, a halacha question to the, to the Rosh Hashiva. And the Rosh Hashiva pulled off a sefer off of the shelf and he started to study the sefer. And when he was finished reading that book, so he closed the book, he put it back on the shelf and he gave an answer to this particular question. The person walked out and the Talmud, the student who was sitting there, said to Rabbi Khan Wasserman, he said, I saw which sefer you pulled off the shelf and that book had nothing to do with the person's question. So Rabbi Khan explained to me, he said, when I get a question, I need to align my mind with the Das Torah, with God's will. What I do is I go and I sit and I read something which helps me to focus, focus my mind into God's will. And by doing that, by learning Torah, it helps me to understand the answer to any question. So if we want to know how can we do what's objectively correct, how can we attach ourselves to the truth, how can we get that first quality, how can we really, really do what God wants? The only way to do what God wants is to study His Torah. To learn the Torah, we should have a time every single day. One of the questions our sages tell us after a person passes away, one of the first questions that they ask you is, the first question is, Nasatav and Nasatav Emunah. Did you deal honestly in your business dealings? That's the first question. But the second question is, Kavata Itam Torah. Did you set aside time for learning Torah? Because it's so essential. A person cannot know how to properly steer his life without the guidance of the Torah. And not only is it important for him to have guidance from the Torah, it's important for a person to find himself a rabbi, a rav, a teacher, someone who can guide him, he can ask his questions to. Because even if he begins learning, he can't possibly learn all of the Torah in a short amount of time. So it's important that he has someone who's many steps ahead of him, many levels ahead of him, that he can ask his shilas to and get the proper guidance. In this way, God willing, with God's help, we can attach ourselves, we can give ourselves and God the first quality, not the second quality, not the, not the third quality. We shouldn't settle for second best, but rather we should try our, try our utmost to, to come close to Hashem in the way that He sees fit by learning His Torah and doing His mitzvahs. Have a great Shabbos.